Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors at Soul Church. Uh, great to be opening God's Word with you and welcome if you're a visitor and you don't normally find yourself here. We love having you here. It's great that you can be here. Uh, I've been experiencing a clash lately. I recently introduced my boys to People Are Awesome videos. Uh, if you haven't seen these, it's human, humans doing incredible things with their body. These are real things that they've done with their bodies. And my boys have loved these videos so much that they've been copying them. Uh, and so they'll jump in the air and wiggle their legs a bit and then say to me, Dad, did you see that? I just did a triple backflip. Uh, they've been loving it. Uh, but at the same time, I've been asking people this week a question. If you could change one thing about your body, what would it be? And the answers have shown how weak and flawed our bodies are too. Uh, the answers have ranged from things like the aches and pains of aging, sickness, low energy, memory loss, scars that makeup covers, the scars that makeup can't cover, disability, autism, anxiety and depression, deep dissatisfaction with parts of our body and just the slow march towards death. This is the clash that we all live with, isn't it? Our bodies are so amazing and so weak at the same time. So perfect and yet so perishable. And since our bodies are so important to us, the future of our bodies is important to us. And not the future as in how long will you live and how will you cope with aging and will you be buried or cremated when you die? No, I'm talking about the future of your body after death, when you're raised from the dead. Because that's what we've been seeing in this series. We're looking at two gold chapters in this series. All the Bible's good, but these two chapters in particular are pure gold. We're working through 1 Corinthians 15 and soon starting Romans 8. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we've seen the future. The death is not the end of the story. Jesus was raised from the dead. Not to be resuscitated, to, to live for a few more years and then die again. No, Jesus was resurrected. When Jesus faced death, he punched through death and he came out the other side, never to die again. And we've seen in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus has really been raised. Eyewitnesses have seen it and they give proof of it. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything about how we live now. And it leads to two obvious questions. And they're for us there in verse 35. Have a look with me. We're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians 15. Have a look in verse 35. Here's the obvious next question. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? I'd like to take those questions backwards. First, what does the resurrected you look like? What kind of body will you have? Will it be the same as your body now, minus the scars and blemishes? Or will it be a completely different you? How old will your body be in the resurrection? Will we all be 16, but, but with a mind of 40-year-olds? I've seen that movie. It wasn't very good. You know, what's, what's it going to be? Is it even a body? Is even body the right word to describe it? Or will it be more like spirits floating on the clouds? That's the first question. And then the second question how will this happen? 
How will it happen when our bodies are rotting in a grave? How will it happen when death is so obviously still winning? Jesus was resurrected, but he is the only one ever. These questions matter, don't they? Our body is important to us, and so the future of our bodies is important to us. And that's what we're going to explore. How about I pray and ask God to help us as we dig in? Lord God, you are so good to us, especially in the fact that you speak and you make yourself known and you tell us your will and your plans so that we can understand it and live in light of it. We pray that you'd be with us now, take away the distractions, help us to focus and concentrate on what you want to say. And by your powerful Holy Spirit, Lord, please would you change us. Amen. Well, first question is, what kind of body will we have? Have a look in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. I'll explain in a moment why Paul starts by insulting the question asker and calling it foolish. Turns out there is such a thing as a dumb question. But we'll find out why he says that in a second. But what kind of body will we have? Well, think about a tree. To grow a tree, you don't plant a tree. You plant a seed. And the, the tree, the seed doesn't become a tree unless it's planted in the ground to die and then come to life as a tree. And each seed leads to a different tree. There's a connection between the seed and the tree that comes from it. So an apple seed produces an apple tree and an oak seed, an acorn, produces an oak tree. There's a continuity between them. There's a connection. But there's also differences. Imagine you had never seen a tree before and you were given an acorn. You couldn't look at an acorn and draw an oak tree if you'd never seen one before. There's a connection between the seed and the tree, but there's also huge differences. This is what he says in verse 36. Have a look with me. How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body or the seed that will be, but just a seed. You don't, sorry, you don't plant the, the tree that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, apple, oak, whatever else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. So what's he saying? He's saying here, seeds die by, they die by planting them in the ground to grow and to come to life. And there's a connection between the seed and the tree, but there's also radical differences between the seed and the tree. You with me so far? That's what he says. There's lots of ideas jammed in here. That's what he says. Now he's got another metaphor. He talks about different kinds of bodies. So have a look. Verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. Uh, did you see the word kind in there or kinds? Heaps and heaps of times. The, the next point that he's making here is that God made different kinds of things. Uh, I think we know this. That a cow is different to the moon. The cow can jump over the moon, 
because the cow is not the moon. It's deep. Think about it. That's basically what he's saying. God made different kinds of things. We get that. Now, let's apply all of those picture ideas to the resurrection. Have a look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. So just like the seed comes to life, if it dies and you plant it in the ground, so we come to life after death. And just like there's a connection between the seed and the tree, there's a connection between your body now and your resurrected body. An apple seed doesn't give you an oak tree, it gives you an apple tree. And in the same way, you will be raised as you. It will be you transformed. It won't be someone else. It won't be something else. It'll be you. But you transformed. Like an oak seed is massively different to an oak tree. There's connections, but there's heaps of differences as well. Your, your resurrection body won't be like a leaf that falls from a tree dies, rots on the ground, you pick it up, you breathe life back into it. It'll be more like a seed that germinates and grows into this flourishing, enormous, life-giving tree. That's what Paul tells us in answer to this question. What kind of body will we have? And I've got to say, it sounds very unbelievable, doesn't it? If you were hearing this for the first time, if you didn't know anything about God or Jesus or the Bible, and someone said, this is the future of your body, That would sound really unbelievable, which is why Paul says you can ask this question and be foolish. There's a a way to ask this question that is foolish. It would be foolish to look at a weak and decaying human body and to think that we could actually work out from what it looks like now what it will be. There's a connection between the two, but the differences are more dramatic the night versus day, or a seed versus a tree. And if you think it can't happen, Paul says, you're a fool. You'd be foolish if you believe that God couldn't do this. We know that God can do this. We know that this can happen because God has already made different kinds of things. He's made cows and moons and everything else. So what is one more thing for God to make? And we know it can happen because God has already raised someone from the dead. He's already resurrected Jesus. If he did it for one person, of course he can do it for more people. So what kind of body will we have? The resurrected you is you transformed like Jesus. The resurrected you is you, but different. Same, same, but different. Different how? He tells us in verse 42. Have a look with me, verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Uh, If you left perishable food out in your kitchen bench, what would happen to it? It would rot and it would perish. That's kind of what our bodies are like. They decay. They're mortal. Uh, Verse 43 and 44, our bodies are weak. They're dishonorable. They're natural. 
My grandmas died at age 96 and 97. Uh, It was a pretty long innings. And they used to joke that they were in their second childhood when they hit their 90s. Uh, They're in their second childhood because when you're that old, people do everything for you again, like when you're a baby. Uh, You need people to feed you. You need help to walk. You're back in nappies again. It's like childhood all over again. And there's nothing impressive, there's nothing honorable about wearing nappies in your 90s. Our bodies are like that. But they will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. Can you imagine life in a body with no decay? Can you imagine life in a body that is perfect and immortal? I can't imagine it either. Because it is so different to my experiences. But gee, I long for it. There's also a moral flavor to this. Not just a mortal flavor. There's also a moral flavor to this. Because weak is a great way to describe me when it comes to fighting sin. I'm not powerfully fighting sin. A lot of the time, I'm weak. And I don't join in the glory of Jesus' victory over sin, a lot of the time I dishonor Jesus by sinning. Can you imagine life without sin? Life without even the temptation to sin? I can't imagine that either. But gee, I long for it. Our resurrection body is connected to our body now, but there are big differences. There's mortal differences. There's moral differences. The resurrected you is you transformed like Jesus. That's the answer we get. What kind of body will we have? That's the answer. Now that doesn't answer half of the questions that we have, does it? What age will we be? What language will we speak? What does a perfect human body look like? Will all the men be bodybuilders and all the women supermodels? Isn't that body shaming? And every healthy body is beautiful in its own way? I've got a clear answer to all of those questions. You ready for it? Here's my clear answer. I don't know. That's the clear answer to all those questions. We're not told. But what are we told? We know enough about the resurrection body from what we get here and what we get in other places. We know enough about the resurrection body to know that it's good. And to know that we can trust God. Notice one more crucial thing though. It's a body. Look at verse 44. It's a spiritual body. How can it be a spiritual body? Isn't that an oxymoron? Like original copy or plastic glasses. Isn't that an oxymoron? If it's physical uh, sorry um how can it be spiritual if something is spiritual doesn't that mean it's not physical isn't that the way that we use spiritual if it's spiritual then it's not physical so how can it be a spiritual body i think it ties into our view of heaven too is heaven physical or is it only our souls that go to heaven I think our ideas of spiritual and heaven are a combination of what the Bible says and what our culture says. So we're going to take an important tangent. I've got a question. Turn to the person next to you. Share your answer to this question. What is heaven? 
turn to the person next to you. What is heaven? Have a chat. One, two minutes. You had about a minute. Surely you've solved everything there is to know about heaven in a minute. Come on back. Come on back, everyone. I'm sure you've solved that question. Let me show you a few passages from the Bible. Let me show you a couple of passages from the Bible that talk about heaven. Uh, you may have already figured this out. It might be new. Let's see what we can discover. Uh, first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens, plural. You ever noticed that before? What about the next verse? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The way that Hebrew poetry works is those things are in parallel. So the heavens and the skies are the same thing. So what is heaven? Heaven is the sky. The heavens, the sky above us. That's one way that the Bible talks about heaven. Heaven is the sky above us. But then, of course, you've got the way Jesus uses heaven in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven the way that we normally think about it as the place where God reigns, the place where God is ruling from above us like the sky is above us. Now, look at this. Revelation 21, the passage that we often go to that talks about heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. What's the picture you get? Two different ways to talk about heaven, the sky and the place where God rules from. And here, God comes down from heaven. He destroys this creation, and he makes a new heaven and a new earth. He makes a new creation and he lives with us there. That's the picture of heaven. He makes a new creation like this one. See, our future as Christians is not going to heaven when I die. It's being with God in a transformed, imperishable, powerful, glorious body in a perfect new creation. So the resurrection body is a body. It's not a soul disconnected from your body just floating in the clouds. 
the contrast here is not between physical or spiritual. Verse 44, it's between a natural body or a spiritual body, both bodies. And also, I don't think spiritual body is describing what our resurrection body is made of. I think it's more describing how it's driven, how it's powered. Like, for instance, uh, if you owned these boats, then I would want to be your friend. (laughs) But if you own these boats and I asked you, what kind of boats are these? Well, you could answer in two different ways. You could say, oh, I've got a wooden boat and a metal boat. That's what they're made of. Or you could say, oh, I've got a sailboat and a motorboat. That's what they're powered by. That's how they're driven. The resurrection body is spiritually powered, powered and driven by the Holy Spirit. Mortal and moral corruption gone, but very much a body to suit a new creation. What kind of body will we have? The resurrected you is you transformed like Jesus. Because, of course, the best picture for all of this is Jesus. He's the only one who has been resurrected from the dead already. If you want to see a human who has defeated death, look at Jesus. Right now, he is physically in heaven in a resurrected spiritual body. That's what it looks like. Now, of course, not everything about Jesus. Jesus still has his scars. I think because Jesus is unique, he's the son of God, uh, I think he has his scars as the kind of trophy and the sign for all eternity declaring his victory. So it's not everything about Jesus that we copy. But if you want to see an imperishable, glorious, powerful, spirit-driven body, look at Jesus. And that is the future of our bodies for everyone who trusts Jesus. Now, there's two implications to this. Let me give you two implications. The first implication is that your body really matters. Uh, The highest grossing film of all time, who can tell me what it is? What is the highest grossing film of all time? Avatar, Avatar, perfect. Avatar is still the highest grossing film of all time. It beat (laughs) Avengers Endgame. It's still earning money, I think. Uh, It's earned $2.92 billion. Why is it so popular? Because it'd be amazing to swap bodies. I would love to have an avatar, wouldn't you? It'd be great if the real me was on the inside and my body was just the shell that I kept it in and I could change shells whenever I wanted. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Of course, it's not true. You are your body. Your body is you. You're more than your body, but you're not less than your body. Your body is you. Uh, But this idea, the idea that the body is like a shell, I think it's becoming more attractive. I think it's becoming more popular, this idea that we treat our bodies like they're the shell and the real me is on on the inside. It's actually becoming more popular with transgender ideology, with one part of transgender ideology. And as a very simple definition, the idea in transgender ideology is that what you believe or what you feel or what your mind says about who you are is who you are. And so in the very difficult and painful experience where your mind and your feelings don't match your body, you change your body to match who you really are on the inside. 
Instead, I would want to say with deep respect and compassion, your body is who you are. And for those experiencing the incredibly painful distress of gender dysphoria, I don't want you to have the support and the compassion and the love and the help of people around you and the help of God to transform your mind and the way you feel about your body to match how God sees your body. Because God loves your body. God loves all of our bodies. God gave your body to you as a good gift. It's affected by sin. It's broken. It's on a slow march towards death. But it's still a good gift. And we all need to learn to love our bodies. When God made people, he could have made one man, one woman, and pressed copy-paste and just mass-produced all the same. He could have done that. But he didn't. He made billions of different bodies and he knit them together. Psalm 139 talks about being knit together in my mother's womb. Your body has been handcrafted by God, custom built. It's artisan, each one unique. And we all need to learn to love and value our bodies like our Creator does. Your body really matters and more than that what you do with your body really matters like how a seed is connected to the tree it's your body that will be raised not a full connection but some connection and so when we mistreat our bodies when we mistreat other people's bodies those are the bodies that will be raised Your body really matters. But second, your body doesn't matter. Not that much. Not ultimately. Because you're going to get a new one. What do I mean? There's a tension we're trying to hold here. What do I mean? I mean, don't love your body so much that you forget it's temporary. Enjoy beauty, of the beauty of your body while you have it. Enjoy the health of your body while you have it. Craft and shape your body with diets and exercise if you want to do that. But don't worship your body. It's temporary. Enjoy medicine. Enjoy how medicine can restore health to your body. But don't trust in medicine to save you from death. It won't do that. It can't do that. The most perfect human body you will ever see is perishable, weak, dishonorable, natural but the bodies to come are imperishable immortal perfect where all the damage all the shame of what we've done in our bodies all the shame and all the damage of what's been done to us in our bodies will be gone that's the future that's the kind of body you will have you transformed so second question How are we raised? How does this work? When will this happen? And will it really happen when death is so obviously still winning? Well, here's how we're raised. The resurrected you comes from him when death is destroyed. That's how it's going to happen. The resurrected you comes from God when God destroys death. An interesting fact about the Bible, you might not know this. There is no verse in the Bible 
that says that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, I couldn't find one. Correct me if you find one and I'm wrong. Uh, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find a verse that said Jesus rose from the dead. What you do find is many, many, many verses that say Jesus was raised from the dead by God the Father. Have a look back in verse 4. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 4. That he was buried, talking about Jesus, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Or look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the language you get. The language is that Jesus was raised from the dead, raised by God the Father. Because that's what God does. God raises the dead. And he's going to do it for all of Jesus' people. Here in this passage, God tells us his plan to defeat death. Have a look in verse 50 with me. We'll fly through this bit. Have a look. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Sleep there. Sleep is the New Testament's way of talking about death. Uh, Christians, when Christians die, it's like sleep. Not so much because our souls are literally asleep, but that it's like sleep. Because we who are alive have no contact with those who have died. It's like they're asleep to us. You can't wake them up. And it's like sleep in that it's temporary. You will wake up in a new resurrection body. Uh, Verse 51, have a look again. Verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We won't all die before this happens. But we will all be changed. Now we need to be changed because sin-affected flesh can't mix with a holy and perfect God. Uh, Oil doesn't mix with water unless you somehow turned oil into water. Uh, A fish can't live on the land unless you somehow change gills into lungs. And so we can't live with God unless we're changed. God is too perfect and too pure to even look on sin and evil. So how can we who still sin who are in flesh and bodies that are affected by sin, how could we ever live with God? The answer is, God will change us. God will change us when God defeats death once and for all. Can you imagine a world without death? I can't either, but gee, I long for it. Death is like this undefeatable power. One out of one people die. It's like this black hole that sucks in everyone who will ever live. Men, women, children, the elderly, Sudanese, Germans, Americans, Australians. From this black hole, no one escapes. No one. Except that on the 17th of July, in the year 30 AD, the first Easter, out of that black hole... Jesus' body disappeared. God the Father raised him from the dead and Jesus stood up in that tomb. He punched through death and came out the other side, never to die again. In Jesus Christ, God defeated death and he's going to do the same for everyone who trusts, it, for everyone who trusts in Jesus. And what's more than that, it won't even be hard for God to do this. Look at verse 51 again. 
Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The trumpet that it's talking about there is about God's victory. Uh, Back in this time, they used to blow a trumpet at the end of a battle to tell you that we've won victory. We've won. Everybody who heard it would know victory. Uh, It's a little bit like how they play the national anthems in the Olympics when they're giving out the gold medals. Uh, But God's victory happens in a flash, in the blink of an eye. It'll take less than one second for God to destroy death. Like if you're at the Olympics and the athletes were lining up to do the marathon. You know, two hours of grueling, intense pain, this mental, this physical battle, the gun fires and then immediately the national anthem starts playing and they walk straight over to the blocks and get gold. That's how quickly, how easily, how completely God will defeat death. It's the world's shortest battle. And when it comes... Verse 54, when it comes, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'd taunt death. We'll we'll taunt death death this unstoppable power will taunt it because god has conquered death for his people he'll give victory did you notice verse 57 he'll give us victory through our lord jesus christ what is it about jesus that gives us victory over death what is it about jesus that means we don't need to fear death that it's not the end of the story for us That we can be certain that a new resurrection body is what lies ahead, not a body rotting in the grave. What's actually in that really confusing verse, verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. What does that mean? What is the sting talking about here? Well, I think it's a bit like this. Take a, a bee or a scorpion how does a scorpion protect itself how does a bee protect the hive they use their sting they use their stinger to achieve their purpose to achieve their goal so what he's saying here what paul's saying here i think is that the stinger of death is sin death uses sin to get us We die as a consequence of sin. We die as the consequence for rejecting God. Death is what we deserve for how we treat God. And so the stinger of death, how death achieves its goal and claims us, is through sin. I heard about this dad who was playing in the backyard at his house with his son. Uh, And his son had a severe anaphylactic reaction to bee stings. Uh, He would easily die if he was ever stung by a bee. And the dad and the son were having a great time playing in the backyard until they saw a bee. It was in the distance, but it started to make a beeline, pun intended, started to make a beeline towards the son. And quick as a flash, the dad reached out his hand, grabbed the bee and was stung so that his son didn't have to be. He saved him from death. 
that's what death does. Death uses the sting of sin to sting us to death. But Jesus took the sting of death by dealing with sin for us. He dealt with sin, a sin that leads us to death, by taking death for us and by crediting us with his perfect sinless life. That's how the victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So two implications. First implication is, come to Jesus so that death is defeated for you. All the things that we've heard about today, the new creation, the resurrection body, it's for everyone who trusts in Jesus. 1 Corinthians is written to Christians. Uh, Look back. The start of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 1 and 2. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. This is written to Christians. This is written to people who trust in Jesus. All these promises we've seen are for people who already trust in Jesus. For those who don't trust in Jesus, though, this is not the future of your body. What is the future of your body? I think this is captured really well by a quote I found from C.S. Lewis. Here's what he says, writing in the 1950s. He says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare." All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. There are two futures for your body, but the resurrected body can be yours. That's why Jesus came to defeat death. He can defeat death for you if you only trust in Jesus. If you trust Jesus to save you from the stinger of death. If you'll say, trust Jesus to save you from the judgment and the penalty you deserve for rejecting God. He does that in his perfect and, and his death and his perfect life. So let Jesus take the sting out of death for you if you haven't, by trusting and following Jesus. And then second implication, last thing. Give thanks to Jesus for defeating death for you. If you've already trusted in Jesus, give thanks to Jesus for this. That's what Paul does. Look at verse 57. He says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything God does, he does for his glory. He makes this creation for his glory, like Andy showed us from Revelation 4 verse 11, so that we would praise him. He does it for his glory. He makes the new creation for his glory. He sends his son for his glory. He'll give us resurrected bodies for his glory. If we act like the resurrection body and the future head is all about us, we've completely missed the point of why God has done this in the first place. He does it for him, for his glory. And we're swept up into that. 
So give thanks to God for this. Give thanks to God now and often and always and for eternity. Because we have an eternity with God to thank Him. In our new resurrection bodies, in the new creation, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That is the future of our bodies. This is the future of our bodies. Our bodies matter, but we have a resurrection body to come. And in Jesus Christ, death has been defeated for you. Death can be defeated for you if you've never trusted Jesus before. He's taken all the sting out of death by dealing with sin. So come to Jesus and give thanks to Jesus. That's the future of our bodies for the glory of God. Can you imagine what that resurrection life will be like? I can't either. But gee, I long for it. Don't you? Let's pray. Our great, incredible Heavenly Father, we give you so much thanks, so much thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. When we were so undeserving, you sent your Son to take the sting out of death for us. And so we know with complete confidence what lies ahead that we will be raised from the dead just as you raised your son, that we will live with you in a perfect new creation where all our mortality is gone and all our immorality is gone. And Lord, we long for that day. We pray that we'd spur each other on towards that day. We pray that we'd share this news with others so that they might come and join us, so that we can give you thanks and praise for the rest of eternity. Amen.